name is Steve Murphy, the lead minister here at Discover, and we are in our series Christmas at the Movies. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to get there in just a couple of minutes. So as we're in this series, just a reminder, the point is not to gain truth from a movie. The point is to gain truth from the Bible. So the movies are going to help illustrate things from the Bible, not the other way around, and that's really important. All right, while you're looking up Luke chapter 10, we're going to do a quick quiz. These are some movie kind of synopses, and then you're going to provide the answer, all right? You can quiz yourself. If you get them all right, you know, you can pat yourself on the back or pat your neighbor on the back, whatever you want to do. That's your prize. All right, here we go. The first one, the rebellion rises up and destroys the empire's world obliterating weapon, the Death Star. What would that be? Star Wars, right. And for the nerds among us, that would be Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, right? You got to get that right. And, and never, by the way, never ever say Star Trek to a Star Wars person or Star Wars to a Star Trek person or you'll have a big fight. Second one, a high school student accidentally travels 30 years into the past in a DeLorean invented by his zany friend, Doc Brown, the scientist. All right. What's that? Back to the future. Yeah. Very good. Number three. Elastigirl goes out to save the world from the underminer while her superhero husband works at home. Yeah. The Incredibles, too. All right? Good. Number four. While homesick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him a story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love in marriage. Okay. Anyway, some of you got that. What was that? It is... Princess Bride, not Princess Diaries, as Jim Breckbuller thought. Okay. (laughs) It's all right. He hasn't seen the movie. Someone tell Jim this is a very good movie to see. All right. Last one. An orphan climbs into Santa's toy bag and stows away to the North Pole, where he's adopted by elves who raise him as their own, but he learns he's human and eventually embraces his newfound purpose. That would be? Elf. Elf. Good job. All right. How many of you got them all right? Woo! Give yourselves a hand if you did. A couple things about Elf. First of all, Shameless plug for Dublin Sciato High School. They're doing this today as their last performance of this. Also, this is the really important thing for us. As we're talking about these movies, the idea is that we would be inviting friends and neighbors, especially the ones who say, I could never go to a church. You know, if I walked in, the building would fall over. You know, that kind of person, right? The person who feels like they've done something so wrong or whatever. We want people to be here. And the reality is, Somewhere around 80% of people will come if they are personally invited. That's a pretty large percentage. So we have cards in the lobby that have Christmas at the movies. Just give those out to some friends, some neighbors, and just say, hey, we'd love to have you come and join us. Elf is going to be our Christmas Eve movie that we talk about as we look at what the birth of Jesus means for our lives today. So just really, really encourage you to be inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. And you can do that through this. All right. Okay. So as we think about movies, there's pretty frequently, there's a common storyline. There's a character or characters, there's a problem, and then there's some kind of solution. And a lot of times the solution is something that's sacrificial. And that's the case often with movies. All right. So today we're talking about Frosty, who's a jolly, happy soul. As we think about Frosty, I don't know, when I was a kid, I thought Frosty was kind of fun, right? You know, he's a fun character. But there's a problem that Frosty has. All right, so they're going to put Frosty on a train because here's the situation. Frosty is the character. Frosty is melting. That's his problem. And the solution is to get him someplace that's cold. 
Now, there's a sacrificial element in this. Uh, one of Frosty's new friends, Karen, says, I'll go with you. And they get in the train. And now, Karen, who was trying to help her friend stay out of danger, finds herself in danger. All right, so now we're introduced to another character, Karen. And she has the opposite problem of Frosty. Whereas Frosty is melting, Karen is freezing. And what needs to be done is to get her to a warm place. And Frosty does that, takes her into the warm place, and it ends up, Frosty, sacrificially, he he gives his life. He ends up melting away. There's something powerful about the idea of loving someone so much that you're willing to make a sacrifice. In fact, if you're not willing to make a sacrifice, it's probably not love, right? Jesus in John 15, 13 said, there is no greater love than for a person to lay down their life for a friend. That's the ultimate loving sacrifice we can make. As we think about this idea of loving sacrifices, sacrificial actions, we're drawn to a story in Luke chapter 10. Now to set this up, Jesus is obviously a very popular teacher. And an expert in the law comes to Jesus. Some think he was trying to trick him. Others think he was honestly just trying to find out what Jesus would say. And the expert in the law asks him a question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And you have to remember, this was all before Jesus laid down his life. This was all, all they knew was the law. All of the things that God had given to Moses and, and all of the, the regulations and the rules that they needed to follow. So Jesus, as he often does, answers a question with a question. Jesus asked the expert in the law, well, what does it say in the law? How do you read it? In other words, how would you interpret, how would you summarize the entire law and the prophets. And the expert said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Do this, and you will live. So the man responds the same way Jesus had responded when he was asked the question, and it's where we get our mission statement, to love God and to love people. That's the way that you can live and find true life. So that's the summary. But it says, then the man had something else that was bothering him. So here's what he does. If you grab your Bibles, again in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 29, it says this, but he, that's the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, that's an important question. Do you have to love everybody? Do you only have to love the people who love you? What is a neighbor? It's really cool what Jesus does. He He takes this storyline that we've kind of briefly talked about where there's a character and there's a problem 
and then there's a sacrificial solution. And that's exactly what we see here. So, continuing on in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So that's the story Jesus tells. Character is a man. We don't know his name. His problem is he's been beaten up. He's dying. And the solution is the man says, I just have to get him to a place of healing, a place where he can recover. And again, it's sacrificial. The Samaritan gives his time. He gets involved in what's literally a bloody situation. It's very messy. He gives his own finances. He takes care of him. And to be honest, he has no idea if the people who had attacked this man are just waiting for the person to come along and stop to help him, and they can attack and rob that person as well. No clue. He has no idea. He puts his own life potentially in danger. Sacrificial love. Well, let's flip this to our story. What about us? Well, our biggest problem is two things we can't beat. Sin and death. And the solution is to defeat sin and death. But the problem is we can't do that. And so that's where sacrifice comes. That's where Jesus engages. Jesus, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Jesus became sin for us. And in Romans 5, 8, it says that Jesus came to earth, demonstrating God's love, that even when we were sinners, Jesus died for us. And that's sacrificial love. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I was thinking about that this week, I thought, if you're just strictly analyzing this from kind of an external viewpoint, it's kind of hard to imagine that Jesus actually won, right? I mean, it's kind of like Wisconsin in the second half. You don't see a lot of victory coming here, right? I mean, Jesus becomes sin. How does becoming sin for us, taking all of our sin, in other words, on him, how does that produce victory? And, and how does dying overcome death? It doesn't make a lot of sense. 
But we have to remember the reason that Jesus did those things. Jesus paid the price, took our sin, so that we could then become righteous. That's the second half of that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin so that we would be sinless. He did it for us. Sacrificial love. And he died. But we know that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus died, but he also rose again. And many verses talk about that. Romans 14.9 says that Jesus died, but when he rose, it means we get to rise too. Other verses talk about that. The resurrection proves that we too will rise. But why did Jesus die? He did it for us. Sacrificial love. We're going to sing a song not too long from now. Some of the words are these. They're powerful. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. And isn't that why Jesus came? Right? He came to die. God and sinners reconciled. That's the reason Jesus came to earth. Sacrificial love. You know, in the Frosty story, you'll have to watch it for yourself, but in the Frosty story, he actually comes back to life. So I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody. Sorry. But, you know, Frosty's not a true story, obviously. But Jesus came back to life as well. And it is a true story. And for 2,000 years, people have been trying to disprove it, many becoming Christians in the process because they found out, wow, you cannot disprove truth. Jesus rose, and we too will rise. That is amazing and wonderful news. And Jesus, then, after he rose, he told us to go and make disciples and to baptize them and to teach people about who he is. And then he went to the Father. And then he sent the Holy Spirit so that his followers would have the power to live the way that he wants us to live, with sacrificial love. And that takes us back to the story. It's not quite over yet. At the end of the story, Jesus again does what he frequently does. He asks a question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy on him. Now, for us, we may not understand all of the implications of this story of Jesus. And this is a sidebar, but it it can be important. The Jewish people and the Samaritan people did not like each other at all. And the priest and the Levite were, were people who were highly respected in Jewish culture, but when they saw one of their own, a Jewish man, beaten, dying, they just walked on past. And the Samaritan, 
the bad guy, if you will, is the good guy in the story. The one who is sacrificially laying down his own life, his own stuff. And that's a powerful story. It's a powerful point. It's not the main point, but it's an important one. Sometimes we think this person is not worthy. This person is unable to do things that God will want them to do because we have our preconceptions. And when the man, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but when he responds with his answer, he doesn't say the Samaritan, does he? He says the one who had mercy on him. It's kind of like saying the team up north, right? For those of you that can't say Michigan. By the way, Michigan is a great school. We should be grateful they're in the Big Ten. That's my opinion. Though I am a big Buckeye fan and related to Woody Hayes, and that is true. Okay. You can praise me later. Like I had something to do with that. Anyway. All right. Where was I? We were talking about something, but it wasn't Michigan and it wasn't Ohio State. We were talking about the Samaritan. But the main point Jesus wants to make is the very last part of the story. There's one phrase that's left. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's the point of the story. The point of the story is whoever has a need, take care of them. That's what Jesus is telling us. The words were for the the man, the expert in the law. They were for whoever else was listening, and that includes us. These words are for us. And if we think of this storyline one more time, and we put it in our context, the characters would be the people around us, right? The people in our lives. The problem is any need that they would have, whatever that happens to be. It could be physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, financial, whatever it happens to be, there's a need. And the solution is for us to get engaged, to be involved, to help in whatever way God is asking us to do. In fact, I'd like for just a second, if you would just close your eyes, think with me, and just ask God to make this personal. Ask God, who is this person in my life? Just help me know, God, somebody that you want me to to love sacrificially. Who is that? God, help reveal in each situation whatever problem, maybe it's something we haven't even noticed before. Make that clear to us. And then additionally, Holy Spirit, would you help us and empower us to be part of the solution, to be part of making a difference in this person's life. How is God calling you and me to be part of the solution, even if, maybe especially if, it requires some sacrifice on our behalf? Now you can open your eyes if you still have them closed because I don't want you to fall asleep. Sometimes... I was going to look for this really dramatic story of sacrifice, you know, these illustrations that can be powerful. But I thought, you know what, sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but sometimes when you hear these inspiring stories, they can be, 
you know, helpful, but sometimes they also just make me go, man, I stink as a person, right? Anybody else ever feel that way? Okay, it's just me. Never mind. But I think there's something that is really powerful about the maybe not so dramatic, but the consistent sacrifice. And really, that's what God's calling us to. In Romans 12, 1, it says that our worship is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice daily, climbing on the altar and saying, God, how do you want me to live for you today? How do you want me to to die figuratively, most likely, and serve people today? And it's, it's the daily sacrifice. It's the consistent following of Jesus that so often is the part that really makes a difference. It's what you've done by taking some of your money and your time and, and taking an angel and buying a gift for a child to bless their lives. And thank you for that. That's significant. Maybe you did it here at church or you did it some other way, just helping somebody. Maybe it's at the end of the day when you feel like all you want to do literally is sit on the couch and just watch television. Maybe it's occasionally saying, hmm, maybe I need to turn the TV off and turn to the person in the house and just talk. How are you doing? Maybe it's inviting a neighbor, especially somebody who's going through a hard time, or maybe not, but going out for coffee, saying, How's life? Maybe it's when there's something that comes to your attention. A children's ministry need. A way to serve. Maybe it's giving consistently. All of these are part of being the body of Christ. And it's those consistent sacrificial things that make it work. I think it's primarily saying, you know, God, this life, this stuff, my time, my money, I recognize it's all from you, and and I just hold it very loosely. And if someone can be blessed and benefited by me living sacrificially, help me to do that. Now, be aware that when you get involved in living sacrificially, it gets messy. (laughs) It just does. That's what the Samaritan did. That's what Jesus did. That's what he's calling us to do, who he's calling us to be. Our vision statement is is born out of our mission statement where we reach, love, imitate, and duplicate. And as we unpack love, we talk about how real love is willing to go into the messy parts of life, to meet people where they are, and to love each other so much we're not just going to let them stay there and we're not going to stay there ourselves. We're going to move together forward through what God wants, through following Jesus. That's what Jesus is asking us to do and who he's asking us to be.
As we close, I just would like for us to stand, and we're going to read some words that John, probably the best friend of Jesus, when he was here on earth, words that John wrote. It's fascinating if you know John at all. He had the nickname Son of Thunder. He wasn't exactly a loving guy, but he wrote more about love than anybody in the Bible. So let's read these words together. This is 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And the message paraphrase, I just think it helps us understand what God is asking of us. Let's read it together. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. God, would you just help us to live that way, to love that way? Like Jesus, to offer ourselves, to loosely hold on to the things of this world, and to offer them back to you and to others around us. God, help us to truly love our neighbor, whatever that looks like, and remind us of that person that you brought to mind earlier. And if we couldn't think of someone, God, would you unpack that for us in the next few hours? Just help us to walk and to live as Jesus would. Thank you for entering this messy world and loving us so much that you allowed your son to give everything. We honor you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.